Just a quick trigger warning before we jump into this one. This episode does deal with issues around emotional abuse and sexual assault and may be triggering for some listeners. From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media, this is Love Etc. When my love takes me home, it's one of five to thirty miles on. ever been in a relationship that's emotionally abusive? Have you ever had a loved one who's been trapped in one and struggled to find a way to get them out? Or do you want to arm yourself with the telltale signs that a relationship is heading down that path? Welcome to Love Etc. We're your hosts, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, you're listening to Love Etc., a podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today, we're telling one woman's story of emotional and psychological abuse, and then we're going to hear from an expert. In the midst of a global pandemic where so many of us are self-isolating at home with our partners, it's more important than ever we recognize what an unhealthy, abusive relationship looks like. Two, it's important that we can recognize the signs from afar, to look out for our friends and the people we love, to make sure they aren't trapped or being controlled within the walls of their home or relationship. According to 1-800-RESPECT, psychological abuse is behavior that aims to cause emotional or mental harm. It may not hurt your body, but it can be just as painful and distressing in so many other ways. If this episode brings up issues for you, or if you or someone you know is experiencing psychological abuse, you can contact 1-800-RESPECT on 1800-737-732 or through their online chat. Today, we're telling the story of Jenna. She met her ex-partner, Jonathan, more than a decade ago. So I met Jonathan in 2010. It was actually when I was in year 11 in high school. He was just friends with a guy that I was friends with and through that guy we became quite good friends Mm. and we just continued our friendship pretty much once school ended for a couple years after that and then it all kind of developed naturally. We started to get really close. He became one of my best friends and then from there we ended up dating. What did you like about him? Why were you best friends? He was always there for me. He was very sweet. Whenever I needed something, I could call him, I could chat to him. He was just, I guess, always just really available and he was always really, at the time, very sensitive to my feelings, sensitive to my emotions. Yeah, he was just always very supportive. How did other people consider him at that time? Like your friends? Like how would people have described him in that period? Everyone kind of described him as like funny, maybe a little bit introverted, but like really nice. He was kind of like the the really nice guy that everyone's like, oh, he's just such a great friend. And you weren't ever romantically interested in those early years? No, no, not while we're in school. Why not? I don't don't know. I think because we were younger, we weren't as close as when we got older. And we started, I guess, to talk about more real things like uni and things that were actually happening in life when you're in high school I guess everything's a little bit more frivolous over time it just grew so how do you go from best friends to partners or being interested in each other romantically that's not an easy kind of transition to make how did it begin it was at a party that he was actually hosting at his house and I think I'd known for a while that I was interested in him and everyone kept saying he really likes you too you should just go for it and we never really talked about it we were just pretty much hanging out every day 
and yeah, we were sitting in his kitchen and we are just chatting. And then I guess I kind of just went for it. I just went in and kissed him. Just really boldly went in and kissed him. Did he say anything? No, we just, not from there, we just kissed and we hung out for the rest of the night. And then the next day we just admitted that we liked each other. So it just kind of happened from there. So you started dating straight away? Uh, yes, pretty much. Yeah. And what did other people around you think about that relationship? Was everybody like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Jenna and Jonathan have been friends for so long. Yeah. Yeah, everyone was just like, oh, we told you that was going to happen. We told you he really liked you. Why didn't you go for it sooner? No one really had anything bad to say about it. They all thought it was a really great thing because I'd always said how great of a friend he was. So they were just happy I'd found someone I really liked and really liked me. What did your family think of Jonathan? They loved him. They thought he was fantastic. They thought he was really nice. They thought he was really funny. Whenever he'd come over, he'd chat to them. He'd get along with them really well, which my mum and my dad loved because in the past I'd had boyfriends who would pretty much just come over and be like, oh, hey, and then, you know, go hide in my room and wouldn't want to talk to them. But he'd sit there and he'd have a conversation with them. I think he was actually the first boyfriend that my sister liked. She's a really harsh critic. But, yeah, so they all thought he was great. So you start dating and the first six months were pretty lovely. Tell us about the really good times in the first six months. It was just easy because we had already known each other so well. So it was just, it was really easy to transition from being friends to dating. We fell in love pretty quickly. So that made everything just, I guess, a whole lot more warm and fuzzy. So I was dating my best friend. So we went from just the added bonus of now we're in love. Do you have any early memories from those six months of things you did that you really enjoyed, of, of holidays you might have taken, of weekends you might have done exciting things? What were the highlights? We would just, we'd go out with our friends. I know we started planning a trip to Europe, so that was really fun. So a lot of our time was spent actually starting to save for that because we we're planning to go overseas for three months together. We had planned it for about a year in advance. We're like, yes, let's do this. It's going to be so great. We're going to spend three months in Europe together. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to go in winter and it was going to be really snowy and essentially just really romantic. That's pretty much our, was our big goal. And I just remember thinking it's going to be really fun and we're going to have such a great time. What did you know about emotional abuse before you started dating Jonathan? I didn't know anything about it. I'd read a lot about, you know, physical abuse and domestic violence, but I didn't really know anything about emotional abuse. It had never really crossed into my radar or any of my friends' radars, when anyone would talk about abuse and relationships, it would always go to physical abuse. And how old were you at this point when you were dating? I was 20. It's pretty young. Yeah, we were, we were young. What were the early red flags? And did you notice them at the time or is it a hindsight thing? Some of them I noticed. He, he would get quite jealous quite easily. Like if I was talking to a male friend he'd get kind of jealous. He'd think that they were being too flirty or I was being too flirty. And then he'd never say anything at the time. It was always afterwards. He would be like, oh, you know, I think they like you, but, you know, more than a friend. And I'd just be constantly reassuring him. No, like, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just, you know, we're just friends, but, I'll, you know, I can, I'll, you know, I'll back off if it makes you uncomfortable. That was probably the only thing I really noticed. In hindsight, there were probably a lot more red flags, but I didn't see them at the time. What did you think when he got jealous? Did you just think this is normal of a relationship, that he just really loves me if he cares that much about who I'm talking to? I never really thought into it too deeply because he'd always had 
um, self-esteem issues because he had a friend who would be the hot buff friend and then he was the funny friend and I think he really took that on board. He definitely didn't like the way he looked. I was just going, oh, it's just his insecurities coming out. So I just did the best I could to make him feel better about it. So the first red flag was the jealousy. What came after that? Because quite quickly, after six months, the dynamic between you two changed and changed quite dramatically. What came next? He kind of, I guess, when he would talk to me about how I'd been talking to guys, which he was jealous about, he then started to get quite nasty and mean about it. So he'd start being like, oh, you're such a flirt. You like it. You're just being a whore. You're being a slut. Yeah, so it just kind of progressed. It would just slowly progress over time where he'd just get, the only way I can say is more and more nasty about it. He wouldn't just be like, oh, you know, I don't want you to talk to that guy because I'm a little bit jealous. He'd just go straight to, you're being a whore. Why are you doing this? And how would he say this to you? Would you be yelling at each other at home or would he be texting you? How would he be nasty towards you? He would be nasty. It was always it was always when we'd have a fight. So it would always be I would have done something, whether it be speaking to a guy or I, I don't even know. That's the biggest example I can think of. And then we would get home and he would be like, why did you do this tonight? What are you talking about? I was, I was just talking to my friend. And he's going, yeah, but, you know, you were flirting with them and, you know, you're behaving just so disgustingly, like you're meant to be with me. Why are you being such a, like a whore? Why are you being such a flirt? And it would, it would always be in a fight. How do you respond to that? Like, what do you say? What do you do? When it first started, I remember just being so shocked. I... I would um just I just kind of sat there in shock and then slowly over time I just then just I guess just tried to validate how he felt. Just being like, no, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I none of this was meant to hurt you. I love you. I don't love anyone else. I'm not trying to get into a relationship with anyone else. I'm just just talking to my friends and then I'd always just kind of promise, okay, you know, I'll, I'll back off. I'll change the way I talk to them. So when he was telling you these things, you began to believe them? Yeah, I began to believe them because I was constantly being told that. I'm going, okay, maybe the way I do talk is too flirty. Maybe I need to change the way I talk to guys. And, you know, maybe I need to change the way I talk to, I guess, anyone. And yeah, so I just, I really, I really took it on board. And I just, I began to change the way I spoke. I began to change the way I acted around people. I began to change the way I dressed. I just, I did everything I could just to stop the fights essentially just because I was just trying everything I could to make it work. Did you tell anyone about this at the time? Did you talk to your friends and say, he's talking to me like this, this is happening? No, I couldn't, I couldn't tell anyone. I didn't know if there was anything to tell because I was starting to believe it was my fault so I would say okay if I told someone they just agree with him and they just be like well then maybe you know you should just stop doing that because it's making him upset. So you're alone did it feel lonely? It felt very lonely I remember feeling very isolated I felt very cut off from everyone It was especially difficult because we had a lot of mutual friends. So if I went and spoke to them, they'd go and talk to him. And I just, I didn't want that to happen because I guess a part of me just knew it would make it a thousand times worse. Tell us about one of the worst remarks that you remember. One of the worst remarks was 
when I was messaging a guy that I worked with. We were just talking about stuff because we worked in a shopping centre, retail. We were just talking about stuff that had happened in the shopping complex that day and he got really mad at me because he was convinced that this guy liked me and had a crush on me and he was very jealous of him. And I'm going, no, no, like he, this guy just doesn't like me at all. This is purely like a work thing. We're just messaging about something that had happened and then it just it progressed from there and he just kept like saying how I was just a really awful person. I was a flirt and I was a slut. And then he brought up that I had been sexually assaulted in the year before we had started dating, which I told him about when we were friends and he just pretty much said it was all your fault. You had it coming because you were being such a flirt. Do you believe that too in the moment? That I I don't think I believed that, but I just remember feeling so shocked and hurt that that would be thrown back in my face when I told him that because he was one of he was one of the people that I trusted the most and he just turned around and essentially used it as a way to hurt me. On top of everything else, he told you that you were fat and that you needed to lose weight. How did it feel to have your partner push you into a different lifestyle? Because you really took that on board, didn't you? Yeah, I really took being called fat on board. I remember I just started exercising so much. I'd be going to the gym like six times a week like two hours at a time. I changed the way I ate. I remember changing the way I dressed to like hide how I was looking. He would just, he'd insult my appearance. He'd insult my intelligence. He'd always say that I should try harder at uni and I, you know, if I really wanted better grades, I should work for it. Because admittedly, he was, he was a very intelligent person. He was very book smart. He did quite well in VCE and he got you know a high ATAR score which was a really big deal to him he kind of wore that like a badge of honor and he'd always throw it back in my face that his was higher and he's like you know if you just work harder you'd get good grades too and then you'd be as smart as me and nothing I did was good enough. Did you see your friends during this time or did you slowly find yourself becoming more and more isolated? I saw my friends a lot at the start of the relationship but as it progressed and as things got worse and things got I guess, more emotionally abusive, I became more isolated and I became more withdrawn. When it all first started to happen, it was was only like sporadically, it wouldn't be happening on like a weekly or daily basis. He'd always go, let's let's just stay in, let's not go to this party or let's not go to this event. And I'd be like, no, come on, let's go see our friends, it'll be really fun. And he'd always turn around and be like, well, I'm having a really bad day and, you know, you can go if you like, but... I'd prefer it if you stayed in and supported me. And so I'd always say, okay, yeah, sure, you know, I can I can understand that. I'll, I'll stay with you. But then it just started happening more and more and it got to the point where I just – I didn't see any of my friends for ages. I was only seeing people from work because I worked with them and I'd see my mum, my dad and my sister because I lived with them. Did anyone ever raise the alarm that something didn't seem right? I had one friend who was very, not concerned, but she was questioning that something was wrong because I just, I seemed so different to how I was and I had known her for just years 
And I remember she'd ask me, you know, what's going on? How come you've stopped seeing people? Like, how come it seems like you're not doing what you love? You just seem to be acting quite differently. What's going on? And I remember I told her part of the story. I'd tell her, you know, he's just, he's going through a really bad time right now. I'm just, I'm trying to be supportive. Like I'm trying to encourage him to do things that's good for his mental health. I'm like, so I'm just, I'm just trying to be a really supportive girlfriend. I'm like, and it's, it's just starting to get a bit tricky. And I just, I really minimized it. I downplayed it so much. I'm going, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll be fine. Once we get through this rough patch, everything will be great. There was one night at work where there was two girls and we'd had a kind of crappy night. It was just one thing after another. And they're like, you know what we're going to do tomorrow night? We're going to go out we're going to have dinner and it's going to be really nice. We're going to go somewhere really lovely. And I just remember going, oh my God, yes, that sounds so fantastic. I haven't been out in ages. I'd love to go out, especially because, you know, it's been a bit rough right now. And I just, I immediately said yes, because I was so excited. And then I just, I felt this dread and this guilt because I realized I'd said yes, but I hadn't told him that I was going to say yes so in a sense I hadn't asked his permission if I could go out to dinner so I just said to the girls oh look I I just got to quickly um check something to make sure I'm free and I I ran out the back and I called him I'm like hey some of the girls from work want to go out for dinner I'm really excited I really want to go I'm going do you care if I go out for dinner tomorrow night and we hadn't made any official plans like we never really had it was always just kind of an unspoken thing that if I had a night free, I'd be at his house. And he's like, oh, I thought we were going to be hanging out tomorrow night. And I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I haven't seen anyone in such a long time. Like, I really, really want to go out. And I essentially had to beg for his permission, which I guess he ended up giving me on the basis that as soon as dinner was done, I was to go back to his place. How did that make you feel? Was that a red flag to you? Or you just thought, I'll do whatever I need to do to go to this dinner? Afterwards, it was a red flag this was towards the end of the relationship and I just remember thinking, why why am I asking permission to go to dinner with two girls from work? Why am I feeling so guilty because I'm making plans on a night that I'm technically free? We hadn't made plans. There was nothing concrete there. Why do I feel so bad about saying yes to something as simple as going to dinner That I remember starting to kind of click in my brain. I'm going, something's not right here. Something has gone severely wrong that I'm now feeling the need to ask permission. You said before that in the beginning it was one night here or there that you would have an argument and then it became once every couple of weeks. Towards the end, how often was the fighting? How often was he verbally abusing you? He was verbally abusing me nearly every single time I saw him it it started as fights and then it would come from there and once we had a fight afterwards he'd be like I'm so sorry I didn't mean to do that you know I would I'm never meant to treat you like that I don't want to be that person and he'd always try and justify it I'm just having a really bad time I'm so sorry I took it out on you and then from there it kind of just progressed to he would just blatantly he'd be calm and just say blatantly just say all these really nasty remarks or just callous just like he he didn't care anymore he was just so obvious about it tell us about the other times or the other moments that you realized that maybe you really needed to end this I guess when we would have a fight because we were always having a fight and I would try and 
justify something that had happened before or I'd try and like bring up something that had happened before and he's going what are you talking about that never happened like you're making things up like you've taken it out of context you're you're just you're lying you're just trying to get attention he would just try and warp the way that I'd seen things change the way that I'd heard it or taken it on board and he would just make me feel like I was paranoid and I was delusional and like, you know, maybe this is all in my head. Maybe maybe I'm not going okay, you know. Maybe I'm stressed or and I've just taken it the wrong way. And I just – I really started to believe it. I started to question my own mind. I started to question the way that I interpreted things essentially. I was beginning to question my own reality, whether it was actually true or not. So that was definitely a big one. I then started to notice signs that he had – narcissistic tendencies so he couldn't he could not take on any kind of criticism he could not take on any kind of feedback he just couldn't let anyone know that he wasn't doing okay I was the only one that he could tell it to which to this day I still don't understand why I guess because I was the only one that was close enough to properly see it so he kind of had no choice but he was clever because he'd use it to manipulate me and no matter what I did, I was always wrong. I remember there was a day and we were at his family's wedding and he just kind of lost it. I think it was the first time that his family had actually seen him behave like that. And they were like to me, what's, what's going on with him? What's going on with Jonathan? Like, is there something wrong? And he just been so adamant I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone about his problems I wasn't allowed to tell anyone what was going on he was dealing with it I was the only one that was allowed to know I'm going no like he's fine I think he's just stressed with uni and they're going no something seems really wrong here he's like yelling at everyone he's screaming at everyone he's like locked himself in a room and he wouldn't come out at this wedding and I was just like sitting there going oh no no I swear he's just having a rough patch and I spoke to him later that night I'm like hey your mum and your dad and your sister were actually super concerned that this had happened that you've just like cracked it and locked yourself in a room he's going I told you not to say anything how come you would do that behind my back and then yes so over time just more and more things started coming out and I think I began to see how destructive this relationship was. Tell us about being accepted into that nursing course that you wanted to be accepted into. So while we were dating I realized that I actually wanted to be a mental health nurse so I applied for a nursing course and because I'd already completed another uni degree and I was going back I had to do all these essays and I had to submit a resume so it was actually like a bit of a process to it and I just remember the course being like we only accept a hundred people so you know we've got to really weed everyone out essentially and I remember going okay I'm going to give this a shot and I was just on my lunch break at work one day and I got the email that I'd been accepted and I was just so ecstatic. I'm like, yes, finally, I'm on my way. I'll go to uni. I will then study. I'll be a mental health nurse. It's going to be fantastic. And then I just was overcome. I just remember like feeling cold wash over me and I've gone, I'm going to be a mental health nurse. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to deal with people who are unwell and then I'm going to come home and have to take care of my boyfriend who is clearly also unwell and it was just terrifying and I just remember sitting there going I don't think I can do this anymore. Tell us about the friend from work who noticed. 
So my friend from work was actually quite, in the end, switched on to all of this because I walked into the store and I remember mentioning to him, oh, yeah, by the way, I got accepted into that uni course that I really wanted to do. And he's like, oh, cool, that's fantastic. And then he just kind of looked at me and he's going, why don't you look more excited? You've been talking about this for essentially the entire year. Why aren't you more excited about this? And I just, I broke down in the middle of the store. I just started crying in the middle of this store going, I can't do this anymore. And I told him everything. I told him what had been happening. I told him how I was feeling. And he's just gone, you just need to get out of this. You need to get out of this relationship. This is not good for you. You need to, you need to leave. You can't think about what's good for him. You need to think about what's good for you. Were you scared of leaving? Were you scared of Jonathan by the end? I wasn't scared of Jonathan. I was scared of what he would do if I was to leave because over time I made a couple of threats going, you know what, I can't do this, I'm going to leave and then he'd always spin it and be like, I'm so sorry, come back. You know, I really need you. I'm not going to be able to do this without you. Like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do without you and he made all these. He would elude that, you know, he was either going to hurt himself or he was going to do something more and I just remember thinking I can't I can't leave someone who's that vulnerable in this position but I guess towards the end I realised he's he's saying this to manipulate me and I can't let that override that I need to leave. So he was threatening suicide in some ways. Yeah, he would he would threaten suicide. He would threaten to hurt himself. He would just he would make me feel so guilty for even having that thought because if he was to do that, it would be my fault. How did you get out? I go I went over to his house and I had my mum and my dad and my sister drive me. I had them sitting in the car. They had the car still going and I just walked in and I essentially had a bag of his stuff. I had his house keys and I just dumped it all and I just I did not stop moving around that room while I was talking. I'm like, no, nah, this is over. I can't do this anymore. I'm not staying. I just did not stop talking so he couldn't have the opportunity to weigh in and I just essentially grabbed off all my stuff. I grabbed off all my keys and I'm like, no, nah, this is done. This is over. I'm not having a discussion about it and I just ran out of the house and I just jumped into the car and I just remember going to my mum and dad and my sister, we just need to leave. Just, just leave. I don't even want to him to come out and us to be caught in the position where we have to talk to him which was why I got my mum my dad my sister to come with me because I knew if I was there by myself I'd get trapped but it was it was like they were there to essentially help me escape. It's incredibly powerful to have your family be your strength and your support in that moment how did that feel to know that you had them? It was amazing to know that they were there because by this point they were the only people that I felt I had in my life. They were the only people that hadn't been pushed away by this relationship or I hadn't been isolated from and they were still there. I remember thinking they're going to think I'm an idiot for staying for this long. They're going to think that I should have just left earlier but they weren't. They were so supportive. I remember the day that I told them I was going to leave and we still had this three-month trip to Europe booked and my sister's gone, right, well, we're changing your flights and I'm coming over with you. And she's like on the computer at the time, like booking her flights and booking hotels for us going, okay, we've swapped it. I'm coming with you. You're not going to be anywhere near him. And they were just so supportive. How do you feel right now when you think of Jonathan? 
right now I still feel guilty and I still question myself as to if that experience was real or if it's not. It's become very difficult thinking back to know, I guess, what was real and what wasn't. I know the bulk of it was real because I've, it's been like years and I've been able to work through it, but there are still some things that I'm questioning going, did that really happen? Like, surely I wouldn't have put up with that or surely I would have left sooner if that had actually happened. But I can't tell if it's because he had manipulated me into thinking that it hadn't or if it's just my brain trying to protect me from what had happened. But yeah, it's, it's still something that is very difficult to look back on and reflect on as something that had actually happened to me. What surprised you the most about being in an emotionally abusive relationship? I think what surprised me the most was how how it progressed. It's almost like a surreal experience. Like At the time, you just don't realise that it's happening because it progresses so slowly. It's just one little thing and then one little thing and from the first little thing, you're like, okay, no, it's just a once-off incident and then you start to justify it more and more and more. And then over time you just keep justifying the horrible things that had happened and the terrible things that he was doing. And in hindsight you'd look back and you'd go, wow, that whole experience was terrible. How did you justify that? But at the time it's like you're trapped and almost like you're brainwashed. You just don't, you don't see it for how awful it really is. Did any of your friends or his friends, did they believe you about what you were saying about him? Like could people see it in him I remember when I started to tell people they didn't believe me because they had known him for years they're like no you're just over exaggerating like that's not how he is I'm sure that's not how it had happened because he he was very very good at manipulating a situation so after we'd broken up that's when he started to come out about his mental health problems and he started to tell people about his mental health problems. So they, everyone just justified it by going, oh, but he was going through a really rough time. So I'm, I'm sure he was just too overwhelmed and, you know, too depressed and that's why that happened. So it was just I eventually just kind of stopped telling people because once it, there was no point, people just kept saying essentially that I was a liar. This episode will be listened to by tens of thousands of women and at least one of those women is bound to be in the exact position that you were all those years ago with Jonathan. What do you want to tell that woman today? I want to tell them to trust their instincts. At times there was always a part of me going, something doesn't feel right here and I always just dismissed it because there was always some justification as to why it had happened. Just need to trust your instincts. If you think something is wrong, it's probably wrong. Don't dismiss that just because they're telling you, oh, I'm so sorry, I will never do it again. That's not how I normally am. It's because of X, Y, Z. You need to trust yourself. If you think it's wrong, it probably is. How did you heal? How long has it been? So it has been four years since this relationship has ended. It has taken me quite a long time to heal. I was in therapy with my psychologist who was absolutely fantastic and I just had to essentially work 
through everything, I think I still am to a point. It's just, it is work, but it's, it's worth the work. And how do you feel about love now? How do I feel about love? Love is tricky. I've had probably two relationships since that one ended. The first relationship after it ended, it was never going to be successful. And I knew that from the start. And I think I entered it because I knew it wasn't going to be. And I had it in my head, well, at least I can't get hurt in this one because it's not going to go anywhere. I didn't really feel anything towards the guy I was dating, which looking back is just awful and I feel really guilty for doing that. But it was like a a self-protection. It just, it kept me safe because I'm going, okay, well, I've got a boyfriend, but I know this boyfriend isn't going to hurt me, so I'm going to be okay. And then I guess over time, I just realized that that's, it's not going to work. It's a band-aid. I can't, I can't do that. It's not fair on me. It's definitely not fair on the guy I was seeing. So I ended that and I was by myself for a while, which I think was really good. And then the second guy I started dating, I actually had quite strong feelings for and it was quite I guess the feelings were fantastic but I hadn't properly worked through everything that I had gone through with Jonathan because in the back of my mind I just had this voice going you need to get out you need to get out you have feelings for this guy like you had feelings for Jonathan and he's just going to hurt you you need to get out of this relationship it ended up ending for completely different reasons just it didn't work out which is normal and that's fine There's no hard feelings. This guy was an absolute gem, but I guess love's always going to be something that's going to be tricky for me because there's always going to be that part in my brain that's saying, you just got to be careful. You've got to protect yourself because you've let someone in close before and they've hurt you. They've taken the worst moments of your life and they've thrown it back in your face purely to hurt you. Do you feel hopeful? I do feel hopeful despite what I've just said. (laughs) No, I because... I guess looking back over time, everything has improved. Those relationships have improved. Even though I did have that voice in my head and the most recent one saying, get out, I still stuck it through. I was able to be like, you know what? No, just because that one guy hurt me doesn't mean they all are. Coming up next, we hear from a psychologist, but first it's time for a Bumble break. Zara, I have yet another thing to rave about when it comes to Bumble. Of course you do. What is it this week? Well, I absolutely love that Bumble is designed for humans with fluctuating wants and needs. For example, Bumble acknowledges that priorities change and their support for users doesn't waver even when they do. That's why they introduced their snooze feature recently, a mode that allows you to pause activity on Bumble while keeping all of your connections. I adore this too, Mish. As part of the snooze feature, Bumble encourages you to go offline so you come back to their community a healthier, more balanced person whenever you're ready. The reasoning behind this is actually because Bumble's founder, Whitney Wolf Heard, found herself wanting to take breaks from the social media apps she loved too. A quote I love from Whitney reads, social media has become a part of my routine, so much so that I find myself drifting in and out of the apps unconsciously, and maybe, if I'm honest with myself, addictively. I see a need to change it, and I want to give our users an opportunity to break away from the constant noise and have a healthy and well-deserved digital detox. 
Whether you're using the date, BFF or biz modes, the team over at Bumble are here to help you foster healthy relationships that are central to living a positive, productive life. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. Stories like Jenna's are far from uncommon. According to a National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey in the US, 41% of women say they've been in a relationship where coercive control and expressive aggression have been present. To better understand the psychological impacts of abuse and explore how women can secure the help and support they need, we spoke with psychologist and relationship therapist Emma Shalakians. According to Emma, this is a pertinent time to have conversations like this one because while many find comfort in their homes at a time like this, those in abusive relationships might be struggling to find reprieve from the very partners inflicting such torment upon them. Here's Emma. Thanks so much for joining me, Emma. I think where I want to start today is I want to talk to you about what the root of emotional abuse might be. Do you think it has to do with a lack of respect for your significant other? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, if you're not treating your partner well and you're willing to shame them or blame them or call them names or put them down, regardless of an intimate relationship or not, there's no, I mean, where's the key foundation of respect there? If you're willing to make someone negatively feel a particular way. In your experience, can emotional abuse be a gateway to other forms of abuse? If you're being emotionally abused, could that then sometimes bleed into physical or financial abuse or other forms of abuse in the relationship? Research does suggest that it is a predictor, like it isn't something that is causal, like it doesn't necessarily mean it will happen, but it can more than likely if physical violence has occurred or if there is physical abuse happening within the relationship, there has been a lead up to it through emotional abuse. I wonder, I mean, I spoke with you before we press record on this and I wonder how many women are feeling right now with everything going on with coronavirus that so many women are stuck at home sometimes with partners that might be emotionally abusive towards them. What can women in these situations do? Can they reach out to women like yourself and professionals like yourself to seek support and how does that function? Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of um, levels of support that you can engage in and the first is we can go through the national, like there's that the 1-800-RESPECT phone number, which is an amazing resource that, you know, is available to anybody. But then there's also the local level resource centre, which is the Domestic Resource Centre of Victoria. But then, you know, if you wanted to go down and just get really specific support, you can then engage with a therapist or a, or a psychologist to, to help you through it. One thing that I think is really important to do even before you think about, not necessarily think about engaging in support, but having a better understanding or familiarising yourself with what constitutes abuse and what constitutes emotional abuse. So actually being able to recognise it, that's the first sign to overcoming it. Because if you don't know what's happening, then, you know, how do you know when to reach out, right? It's just really important that, you know, if there is something that you're questioning, don't ever fear reaching out because there is always going to be someone out there that is willing to listen and potentially guide you through whatever it is that you are going through. It is okay to share your vulnerabilities. It's not a weak sign to reach out and talk about the pain that you are going through. You know, it's really important to stay connected so that you can hopefully get through an awful experience. Yeah. So I guess if a woman's listening to this and she's thinking, okay, I believe that the dynamic between myself and my partner might be abusive in your experience or with your research, do you think there's ever hope for a a relationship that does have an abusive dynamic like this? Like can a relationship ever be repaired to the point where it's healthy again? Or do you think when there's such an imbalance of respect or power that potentially it's never going to return to a place where it's beneficial to be in? 
I guess it really does depend on the severity, the frequency, you know, how long has it been going on for? And also the willingness of the perpetrator. Like, are they actually open to understanding what is going on? Are they open to engaging in support? Do they want to talk about things? Are they going to engage in the the strategies to actually facilitate change necessary to change the dynamic of the relationship? So, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs. There is a capacity to change, but the key thing that drives that is that, one, you need to be motivated and willing to actually want to change. Yeah. Is it ever advisable? I mean, again, it's going to be tricky because this is all about individual circumstances, but what if a woman wants to confront her partner? Would you ever suggest that that should be the first person they go to, that they confront their partner and suggest that perhaps the dynamic is emotionally abusive or is it smarter or wiser for them to potentially reach out to someone they love and trust outside of the relationship to discuss that with them first? That's a really good question. I think if you are considering speaking to your partner about how you're feeling, a really important way to be able to do that, and this is within any relationship, is the idea of setting boundaries. So one, understanding what constitutes the healthy relationship. So what is the behaviours that you're actually okay with and not okay with? So have a clear mind around how you feel about that. And then opening up the conversation with your partner around, you know, setting up what are healthy boundaries? What are you okay with in terms of how you operate as a couple? What are the behaviours that need to stop? So if you feel that you're not going to be in any danger, then being able to have that open, transparent conversation with your partner, I think is it's, it's an important first step. If it feels like it's not a safe space to do that, then it's probably worth engaging with, you know, either someone who's going to support you through it, family or friends or a therapist to help you through what are the strategies to get through it. Absolutely. Some of the women that we've had reach out to us to say that they have been in an emotionally abusive relationship, many of them have commented that they've actually left the relationship, but even years after the trauma has stayed with them and that they've struggled to move through that. What do you think women can do if anyone's listening to this who has been in an abusive relationship, but perhaps it ended a while ago and they're finding that they're still not really healing from it psychologically, what can and should women do in that situation? So this is something that can, like when you when you talk about in terms of trauma, it is something that can linger if it's not managed and dealt with head on. Part of the process of dealing with something so intense is there's a lot of different things that you can think about, but the first is think about self-care. Like what is it that you need to do to potentially keep looking after yourself? And that might mean re-engaging in the activities that or the, the pleasurable things that you used to do prior to the abuse where the control took over and you had to distance yourself from those things. The other thing which I think is really important is actually checking in with your own narrative. So when it comes to trauma and your internal narrative, sometimes that voice that you have around your story, around what's happened, is you need to be totally conscious of are there still feelings of guilt? Are there still feelings of shame? Is there a fear that you haven't overcome because of the, the experiences that you've gone through? Now, if those things aren't worked on or if they're not necessarily re-narrated, then that story is going to carry with you. And part of being able to manage or rebuild that story is understanding, you know, what is your sense of self or, you know, how do you see yourself and what do you need to rebuild? What would you like to rebuild? Who do you want to become post this experience? Love Etc. is a production from Shameless Media. Sign up to Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship, professional and romantic relationships. We will see you guys next Friday.